You are listening to the May 26th edition of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and today, as always, we are going to be reading through the one-year Bible plan in the New Living Translation. And we're going to go ahead and jump in with our Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through chapter 11. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. In Lo Edevar, Ziba told him, at the home of Mekir, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Mekir's home. His name was Mephizabeth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephizabeth. Mephizabeth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you eat here with me at the king's table. M, as we are going to call him for the rest of the story because his name is very long, bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should so show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him, to produce food for your master's household. But M, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, M ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. M had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were M's servants, and M, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. What a beautiful um, story, my friends. And we are like Mephizabeth, or as I called him there at the end, M, <laughs> because his name is very long. Um, he uh, was crippled, and uh, you know, in that culture, it was that that was a big, um, a big thing. You know, where if you were crippled, it must have meant you did something wrong, and you were, you were really an outcast in society. And yet, here he is sitting at the king's table, not because of what he has done, but because of what somebody has done on his behalf. Does that remind you of anybody? Well, if you're a Christian, it should remind you of you. You get to sit at the king's table. You are treated as a son of the God of this universe, or a daughter of the God of this universe. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. See, God is kind to you. God the Father is kind to you because you are in Christ if you trust in him. Jesus came and lived the righteous life you could not live. Jesus died the death you deserve to die. And he rose again putting an exclamation point on what he had done. Proving that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he would do. And also promising us a new creation. That we one day will literally sit at a table with God the Father. Jesus Christ. And we will eat at a table with him. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf. How beautiful is that? Uh, that is the good news. And if you trust in that, then you can be like our friend M here. And although you don't deserve it, 
you get to set at the Lord, the king's table. Yeah, pretty cool story. Chapter 10. Sometime after this, king nation of the Amorites died, and son Hanan became king. David said, I am going to show loyalty to Hanan, just as his father, Nashash, was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan, their master, do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No, David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come in and conquer it. So Hanan seized David's ambassadors, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened, he sent messengers to tell them, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow out and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. When the people of Amnon realized how quickly they had angered David, they sent and hired 20,000 Armenian foot soldiers from the lands of Beth-Rehob and Zorba, 1,000 from King Mecca, and 12,000 from the land of Tob. When David heard about this, he sent Joab and all his warriors to fight them. Let's just pause here for a minute. Man, this story escalated. David literally was trying to do something nice um, and send some ambassadors to say, hey, uh, you know, we're sorry for your father's death. But because of an assumption, this is why you should never assume. Like, so often we read stories into things people aren't even saying, and it escalates situations that don't need to be escalated. And I, I do this in my marriage all the time. I'm, you know, uh, and, my, and my wife does it to me too, where it's like, what's wrong? And there's really nothing wrong the first time you ask, but you keep asking. And then before long, what's wrong is you're asking me what's wrong, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and it's an argument that, that didn't even need to happen. It was just built upon assumptions. Well, this is like that times a thousand. David trying to do something nice. And the guys are like, yeah, we think they're spies. And then they, uh, they, they shame the spies. And then that makes David mad. And then they hire soldiers. And before you know it, we've got a war when at the beginning, David literally just wanted to send some condolences amazing what humans will do, what we create in our own heads. Verse 8. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city gate, while the Arminians from Zora and Rehob and the men from Tob and Maka positioned themselves to fight in the open fields. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of Israel's elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arminians in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Armians are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. When Joab and his troops attacked, the Armenians began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw the Armians running, they ran from Abishai and retreated into the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Armenians now realized that they were no match for Israel, so when they regrouped, they were joined by additional Armenian troops summoned by Hadiazir from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops arrived at Helam under the command of Shohabak, the commander of Hadadezer's forces. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel across the Jordan River and led them to the army of Helam. The Armenians positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David. But again, Armenians fled from the Israelites. 
This time, David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobak, the commander of their army. When all the kings allied with Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Armenians were afraid to help the Ammonites. 40,000 foot soldiers and 700 charioteers died because of a misunderstanding. That's amazing. That concludes chapter 10, and now we move into chapter 11, which is um, one of the most famous stories regarding David, and it's the beginning of the fall of David. Up to this point, David has been a man after God's own heart, and this is a big stain in his reputation, and we'll see that from this point forward, everything starts to go south for David. It's never quite the same after what happens here in chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year... When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. So, moral number one, David is not where he is supposed to be. When you're not pursuing your purpose, you're going to get in trouble. Your energy and um, all that God has given you, your gifts, your skills, they are to be used for what God has called you to do. And if you're not doing it, then you're probably going to have some extra time on your hands that you don't need on your hands. And that's exactly what happens to David in this story. It's a time when kings are supposed to be out at war and David is where he is at home. Verse 1, continuing on. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rava. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. We'll stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So David made a mistake. He's trying, to, he's trying to cover up and get out of the mistake. He sleeps with Uriah's wife, um, which a victim in this story that we often don't talk about is Bathsheba. Like she, she doesn't really get to choose. The king calls for her and um, really, um, you know, it's, it's a story where uh, an abuse of power has taken place and she is a victim uh, and uh, David gets her pregnant and then trying to cover it up, he pulls Uriah from the battlefield and says, go home and sleep with your wife um, so that Uriah will think it's his child. 
but Uriah is a man of honor and integrity. He says, I can't do that. My men are out there fighting, and you want me to go home and act as if the war is over? No. He sleeps with the palace guards. So the next day, David gets him drunk. Like, okay, now go home and be with your wife. Uriah said, no, I'm not doing that. And um, sleeps with the palace guards again. So what's David going to do? Verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battlefield is the fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. Wow. So David sends with Uriah, this man of integrity, a letter to give to Joab. And little does he know he is carrying his death note. Because in the letter, it is commanded that Joab is to kill Uriah. Not by killing him himself, but by allowing him to go out by himself and then pulling back and allowing him to be devoured by the enemy. I mean, wow. Can you imagine? I mean, you have to be pretty low to give somebody a letter um, and have them carry a letter that says that they are to die in it. And yet that's what David does. Verse 16. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, Report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, Why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know they would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Amalbek's son of Gideon killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of people who were hurt by David's great sin here in chapter 11. Um, David hurt himself. He, he lost the trust of his men in this moment. Joab, his commander, said, why would you have us do this? Like, men were killed. Uh, he hurt men who had nothing to do with it because they were with Uriah, so they got killed just to cover up David's mistake. Obviously, Uriah was hurt. He was killed for something he did not do. And then Bathsheba, who um, lost her husband and was pulled into David's uh, life without really even wanting to be. Um, so many people were hurt in this story. And that is why, as we conclude the Old Testament reading today, it says the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And we'll see the consequences of that throughout the rest of David's life. Moving on to our New Testament reading, John chapter 15. And I'm going to try to stay out of the way of the reading and just let you listen to it and uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes. And I'd love to hear your insights on this New Testament reading. John chapter 15, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Some branches are gathered into a pile to be burned, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to love to, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had come if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. That concludes our New Testament reading and we will now move on to our Proverbs of the day. Proverbs 16 verses 1 through 3. We can make our plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And finally, we will be reading uh, still in Psalm 119 verses 49 through 64 in a posture of prayer. Um, by that, I mean you can make this your own prayer. Read it as if you are praying it. Psalm 119 works really well for that. Or just pause me as the Lord would lead you. Maybe I'll say something that'll spark, oh yeah, I would like to pray for that or something about that. Or maybe it'll spark something totally random in your mind. That's totally okay. Just pause it and pray about what's going on in your mind. Oftentimes in prayer, people try to, you know, they get upset that they get distracted. And I would just say, if you get distracted, turn it into a prayer. Start thinking about your grocery list. Say, God, thank you for providing for my family or whatever it may be. Pray about your distractions. Let's let's have a conversation with God because that's what it's all about. When you run, when you run out of things to pray, then you just move on to the next verse. So let's go. Verse 49. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt, but I do not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your age-old regulations. O oh Lord, they comfort me. 
I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promised. I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. I rise at midnight to thank you for your just regulations. I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commandments. O Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. Yes, Lord, I do pray that you teach me your decrees. That every time I read this Bible, I get to, uh, one, see uh, your great law for the way that we ought to live. And I get to understand that if I, if I live, if I obey these commands, I will find life. And yet, Lord, also a third way that I see and I read this text is, um, Lord, I know that I cannot live up to those commands. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and did that on my behalf so that I can share in the blessings uh, not based upon what I've done, but based upon what he has done. Lord, I pray that you would help me to daily repent, turning from my wisdom to your wisdom. And I pray that for the first time, for somebody listening to me, maybe, they would place their trust in you and what you have done alone. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, that concludes our reading for today. I hope to see you back here tomorrow for May 27th as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.